This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, It's a New World, Retirement. And the author is Harvey Salt, and Harvey joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Harvey. Hello, Steve. I'm going to read a few things that you've written about your book. It's a new world, retirement. You say this, retirement and aging are not laughing matters. At least that's what everyone seems to think. I have taken issue with that. Survival is learning to laugh at yourself and your predicaments. Uh, You also say my book is a book of humor. Funny stuff is always going through my head. I decided to write some of it down and After my investment manager told me that I was going broke, I decided to become a multi-billionaire by self-publishing. Well, that's a good goal. There there you go. I I agree with that totally. Well, one could be hopeful. (laughs) So you've just had, uh, I guess, just crazy thoughts come into your mind, and you just decided to start writing them down. Um, Well, you know, crazy thoughts always go through my mind. Sometimes inappropriately, but I decided, yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll write them down, and uh, so for some of them were good. So, so uh, this whole retirement thing started back when? Well, I uh, I had a business, and I sold it in two thousand four. So uh, that's about uh, six seven years ago. And you've had a varied career, done some different things. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well. It's- Way back when, I started out uh, doing uh, woodwork. I, I, I liked woodwork, so I uh, built furniture, I did cabinet work, and then I was persuaded to uh, do something a little bit better, so I went into TV and radio repair, you know, in the old days when they had tubes. And uh, as a result of that, when I went into the Air Force, I scored real high on my uh, my electronics test, so they put me through uh, electronics school. I learned computers and radar and worked in that for a while, and then they had me teach. So I taught that in the Air Force. I got out uh, of the Air Force and worked in the aerospace industry on, uh, on uh, computerized uh, uh, bombing uh, computers, uh, the, uh, the submarine missiles, and uh, stuff like that. And uh, then I went into uh, law school, became a lawyer, went uh, into the DA's office in Los Angeles, worked as a deputy district attorney, went into private practice, and uh, gave up law and started a business, a credit reporting business, until I sold it, <clears throat> and then I became a bum, a retired person, and uh, just recently started writing. Well, that sounds like uh, three people, not one person. How in the world did you jam all that into life before retirement? And you're, I don't think you could be that old. Uh, next month, I'll be 73. 73. Well, that's young today, especially if you have your health, so... 
It says here, everybody who knows Harvey knows him to be a little raunchy. So some of this book got some of that in it, too? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I, I usually put a sexual angle on almost everything. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it also says you're still as adorable and lovable as you've always been. So I guess you've got redeeming value. Well, yeah, I, I, that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you, let's take a little time out here. and Why don't you uh, read a couple of pages of your books? I, I don't know what you call them. What do you call the, each page has uh just a little antidote about life, a joke, or some humor. It's kind of like a uh, Will Rogers kind of uh, stuff. Yeah, well, you know, it just comes to me. Like, uh, after the book was written and in print, uh, other stuff keeps coming to me. For instance, I, I had some T-shirts made with the book cover on it. And, um, of course, the book cover is really funny. And... I went to pick them up, and I parked in front of the, the store, and the, the street is posted uh, one-hour parking only. And so immediately, uh, the way my mind works, I went in and I told the guy, gee, I hope I don't get into trouble. He says, why? I said, because I'm only going to be here about 10 minutes, and I parked in a one-hour one parking only zone. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, you got to be there for an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's it, it's silly stuff like that. You know, yeah. it's just, it, it, silly stuff just keeps going into my head, and so I thought I'd write some of it down. Well, you were involved in some pretty serious uh, uh, different professions. I'm sure that your humor kind of kept you going. Um, it's well-rounded, let's say that. But I, I, I don't know what to say about that. It's, uh, it's, uh, it just comes to me, and whatever was in my head just comes to me. And I don't know if it's because of my background or just because of, well, everything is because of your background, I guess. But humor is so important, isn't it? We just need to laugh more. Yes, yes. I think, uh, I think, it's, I think it's the very basis of uh, being able to stay alive. Yeah, it's great self-therapy, certainly, uh, and especially if we can look on the uh, little little uh, crazy side of life, uh, look at it a little differently, and, uh, and I guess that's kind of uh, what you do. Yes. Well, you know, some of the things I, I have in my book are just things that occur, uh, and I just had to write it down. For instance, uh, I have a little thing here on my trip to Jenny Craig, because I tend to be overweight, always have been, and, uh, well, not always, but not when I was young, but uh, but I am overweight, and I, so I went to Jenny Craig, and I had a little episode with them, and uh, you want me to go into it a little bit here? Oh, definitely. Share it with us. Okay. Um, I'll read it from the book. So, so I went to the local Jenny Craig office, and the intake form asked questions. So it says, do you have diabetes? And I said, yes. If so, what medications do you take? And I listed about five. Do you want our special prepared meals for diabetics? And I answered yes. And then after I turned the form in, they put all that stuff into the computer, 
And then the counselor said, I'm sorry, but you're ineligible for the Jenny Craig program. (laughs) So I said, why am I ineligible? And she said, because you have diabetes. So, you know, that that was the ultimate in ridiculousness, but uh, that's the way it was. And... uh, uh, but I but I make I make fun here uh, funny thoughts that uh, you know I said one of the things I said was uh, being old uh, illnesses have a have a uh, take a bigger toll on you uh, for instance uh, I had the mushy tushy uh, which is diarrhea and and I find a simple case of mushy tushy takes a whole lot more out of you. <laughs> Well, it certainly does, that's for yeah. sure. We've all experienced that. Yeah. But it's just a play on words, you know what I sure, mean? Sure, sure. Well, and you have a, some you have a you know, a philosophy like I'm reading you say you have to take life as it is handed to you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you know, a lot of people fret about uh, their predicament and I think you just have to you just have to accept it and uh, go on and just, you know, if you could joke about it, it's even better. Right. You know, it may be even some sarcasm, but at least uh, uh, don't take it so seriously. Life is not meant to be taken seriously. That's my philosophy. So a very simple phrase here, a simple wisdom, but very profound at the same time. You say you have to enjoy your life. To enjoy life. Yes. It's, uh, it, it's, again, a play on words. I like to say things twice and have different meanings to it, but that's what it is. You have to enjoy it to enjoy it. Now, sometimes we can get so caught up in so many complex things that we, I guess we just get kind of bogged down, don't we? We don't look at things simply. We, we make uh, just... Uh, too much of what really is going on. Well, sometimes you can't help it, but there's a lot of stuff going on, and sometimes it's really serious. But if you're going to survive it, you have to learn to live with it and just, you know, not take it so seriously. That's, that's just my philosophy. Why don't you share with us uh, uh, another uh, message, a little humorous message? Well, let's see. I think I said, uh, in my retirement, I find uh, that I always have uh, sex on my mind. And I think that's because I can't seem to have it anywhere else. (laughs) Well, uh, that is, uh, we won't get in, since this is a family show, we won't get into any more than that, (laughs) if if you will. Um, Let's see. Here's another, uh, you say, whatever you're experiencing as a retired person, you are not alone. Correct. You know, again, everybody has their experiences, and uh, if they're not out there with other people who are experiencing the same thing, and that tends to be true of retired people because they lose their mobility and um, they and their um, finances, and so they're pretty much isolated more. And uh, whatever they think they're going through, it's, they're not alone. Everybody else is going through 
it. They're all experiencing the same thing. So uh, if people could only know that, it would make life a little bit easier. And you have some comments about people who retire and all they want to do is play golf. You're saying they're not retired. They're still doing the same thing. Yes. They're afraid to... Well, I'm impressed that you, uh, that you know all these things, Steve. Um, yes, that was just another funny thought, that uh, they play golf and it's just like they, uh, before they retired. That's what they did when they worked. So yeah. what is retirement? What is retirement? I mean, you call it a new world. Well, you know, it's a new world. Well, I think I have one of my things here that um, that said that my my doctor changed my eleven o'clock appointment to eight fifteen, so I had to get up early in the morning to make it to to be able to shower, to eat, to fight traffic, to get there, and everything, and. Uh, and I and that was really something for me because I'm accustomed to sleeping late now, and uh, and you know and, and it made me realize I used to do this all the time. I used to fight traffic every day. I used to get up early every day. I used to go through the hassle every day, and uh, I don't do that anymore. So yeah, it's a new world. It, it, life is what you want to make it uh, when you're retired. And I guess. Part of the territory of being retired uh, for people who are a little older, you can never think of everything when you want to. <laughs> That's for sure. Never, you know, I don't care what age you are. You could always say, oh, I should have right. That's right. That's right. So what advice would you give people about approaching retirement? What, what would you say to them that would kind of give them a little out-of-the-box view of what you're experiencing? Um, it's like what the world is fighting for now, freedom. You could wake up and you could say, what do I have to do today? And then say, I don't feel like it, and you don't have to do it. Uh, there's, no, there's no pressure. There's, I mean, you, you could look forward to... Personal freedom. That's all I could say about the retirement. You could do what you want, when you want, if you want. And uh, it's the greatest. People have, I don't think people have a good concept of what retirement is. Uh, they, it, sure, it's a change. Uh, people are afraid, well, I, I, I don't go to work anymore. I don't see the same people. And, but that's the whole idea. It's a new world. You have to learn to accept the new world. And to enjoy it. And we'll conclude on this thought. There is nothing you can experience in life that you can't laugh at. I couldn't have said it better. You did say it. <laughs> you wrote it anyway. <laughs> well, then I have to give myself more. That's right. That's right, Harvey. Well, tell us how to get your book. Tell us about your website, too. Okay, I have a website. It's... Um Extraordinary, spelled without the E, it's X-T-R-A, ordinary, publishing.com. And uh, I sell my book there, and retirement has, has afforded me the, uh, the wonderful privilege of being able to write more. I'm working on uh, four more books right now. I have one ready to go to print in uh, just about two or three weeks. 
Fantastic. Well, congratulations, Harvey, and thanks for being on Author Talk. Well, thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. And that was Harvey Saltz. He's the author of his book, It's a New World, Retirement. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Youth was sad, right? Cause he had a death kill mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the walls never struggled to communicate. Ha. Y'all wave your hands. Look who's on it. Dakota Man Keith and he's number one. It's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central. Every week, that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine, and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Madman, and the author is James Glover. And Jim joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Jim. Hi, how are you? I'm going to read a few things you've written about your book titled Madman. You say this, corporate America is where the racial battle is being fought today, not only in the ad industry, but in all industries. Advertising happens to be one of the last holdouts when it comes to hiring minorities in this country. And you believe it appeals to this book will appeal to African-Americans because they can identify with the emotions of the protagonist. So this ad industry you've been working at for a lot of years. Tell us about your background, Jim. Well, I've been in advertising for about 30 years. I started back in the 70s, around 1975. And I started out in New York at Young and Rubicam Advertising, which at the time was what they called the gentlemen of advertising agencies, one of the larger shops that did um, Jell-O pudding commercials back then, Dr. Pepper, 
um, Eastern Airlines, uh, United Negro College Fund. And um, I was trained by some of the best in the businesses, in the business at the time. <clears throat> and I, but prior to that, I was just a kid in the streets, in the ghetto. I grew up in Harlem. And, you know, I went through most of the things that kids in Harlem go through, you know. There wasn't gangs and, and things at the time, but, you know, there was the threat of drugs and, you know, inferior education. But um, during that time, there was also a lot of militancy going on with Malcolm X and, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, though he was in the South, did travel a lot to Harlem to give speeches and things. So I grew up in a diverse time, you know, when they, where they, there was this uh, militant outcry in, in the nation. So because of that, you know, the ad agency opened their doors to uh, recruiting African Americans and other minorities. The, the term that they phrased at the time was uh, people who otherwise would not have gotten the opportunity. So um, I was one of these kids who came in through their affirmative action program. And, you know, I had no education in it. Uh, they just took me right off the street and started training me in, in the business. Afterwards, I went to visual arts and um, Pratt through some scholarships I earned through YNR. Then um, I left there and moved to Chicago and worked on the uh, McDonald's account for Needham, Harper, and Steers at the time. And I stayed there for about three and a half years, but I kind of made my bones, as they say, on the McDonald's account. I won a lot of awards, and um, that kind of gave me a, a leg up in the business and got my name kind of out there. I moved from there with the McDonald's account to Leo Burnett Advertising, and uh, also in Chicago. And I worked there for another seven years on the McDonald's account. And then I left there and started my own firm called Glover & Potter. We were the agency that got the Denny's account during the time when the, of their uh, civil rights infraction. And I guess, you know, because I had so much fast food experience, that helped me get the Denny's business. And, you know, we were one of the agencies, along with a lot of uh, public relations agencies, that helped turn that whole company around in regards to their racial practices. So have you felt that underlying all this uh, effort to open doors to minorities, to African Americans, that you still were a second-class citizen? How did you feel? Um, yeah, I always kind of felt that in the business. You know, even when when I was at YNR, you know, I mean, we were one of the first blacks to even come into this company. So, you know, there was a lot of resistance against that. You know, I, I mean, remember terms like, um, you know, they can hardly talk. How can they write? <laughs> you know, um, there was just a lot of resistance from the company with hiring black people. But, again, that was the 70s. 
And, you know, all companies were kind of just getting used to African Americans. And like I said in that quote from the book, you know, um, or I didn't say it in that particular quote, but, you know, when the marching stopped outside, that was just the beginning of the battle. You know, after <clears throat> Martin Luther King and Malcolm X got killed and Kennedy got killed, you know, blacks were left inside these corporations having to fight the same battles over again. So, yeah, I did kind of feel like that, like a second-class citizen, like I was always fighting to try to, you know, prove that we were worthy. And I guess that's why you included that quote from Nat King Cole that says, Madison Avenue is afraid of the dark. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nat King Cole naturally meant something different at the time, but it was very appropriate for the book. Um, I think what Nat meant was that, you know, back in the 50s, African American, they, you know, Madison Avenue did not advertise using black people in their advertising because they were afraid that, you know, people wouldn't like the advertise, you know, like black people in the advertising. There was a lot of discrimination going on during that time. Naturally, what I meant was that today they are still afraid of hiring black people and promoting black people and actually you know, letting black people get ahead in the advertising business. Advertising is like the last bastion, the last holdout, where everybody else has kind of, you know, moved ahead with the times. Advertising is a lot like you see on the Mad Men TV show. It hasn't changed much since then. I'm not going to say it's exactly like that. I mean, there has been some changes, naturally, but there is still a lot of battles to fight. Um, and, you know, just last year, in 2009, there's um, a uh, project called the Madison Avenue Project that came to be because of the discrimination in the ad business. And they did this whole study about African Americans in advertising, and it's appalling. I could get into the details, but I think we'd rather move on. Right, right. Well, let's talk about Kevin Townsend. We meet Kevin right at the beginning of the book. In fact, it's uh, very tragic of what's going on and, of course, what happens to him. But uh, we kind of have a flashback, I guess. Tell us about Kevin Townsend. Well, Kevin in the book represented, uh, you know, was a... I wouldn't say an exaggeration, but he represented the worst that can actually happen because of discrimination in advertising. And he really represents a real person that actually did commit suicide because they could not get a job back into the white or general market advertising agencies. And, uh, you know, this guy, he had a master's degree. He worked in um, in general market advertising uh, for a number of years and then left and went to work in African-American ad agencies. And when he tried to go back, they wouldn't allow him back. 
so, you know, going from one black ad agency to another and not really fitting in there because he really was more educated to the general market side of advertising and wasn't that familiar with black advertising. So he never really fit in anywhere. And this guy, this actual guy, actually did commit suicide because he ended up going bankrupt and, um, you know, and uh, couldn't support his family, and he just gave it up and killed himself. And here he had been very successful for quite a long time as well. Yes, he had. Yes, he had. Came from a rich family. And, you know, he was also ashamed to go back to his family, you know, and tell them what, uh, a failure he had been after the family was so successful all these years. So that's kind of the, the starting point of the story. It gives you an example of how how bad it can get. And then we go to our, the next character, Randall Joseph, who doesn't want that to happen to him. So he decides that he's going to get back at the agencies for not promoting him, for blackballing him, and for, frankly, getting rich off of his talent. Randall Joseph represents a lot of African Americans out here in the business today that did a lot of great campaigns in the past, like... A Sprinkle a Day Helps Keep Odor Away. Um, uh, a Life is a Terrible Thing to Waste. Um, the longest-running advertising campaign in history, I'm Stuck on a Band-Aid Brand. I mean, these were done by African Americans back in the 70s, and there's many more that have been created by African Americans today. But those people that created those campaigns are not in the ad business anymore. They were either taken out because they could not, you know, they reached the glass ceiling and didn't get promoted. Uh, they got mad about it and, and decided to start their own business. Um, could not, you know, once they left one agency, couldn't go to another one, even with these credentials. But the, the, all the other people that was associated with those campaigns went on to become presidents of their agencies um, or other agencies because of these things that they have done, um, moved up in the business substantially, uh, gotten rich. I know plenty of guys that I grew up in the business with that are all rich millionaires today, and most of the blacks during that time don't even have a job. So Randall Joseph represents those people. So he decides that he's not going to accept that, and he's going to do some pretty drastic things to make sure that, that that destiny does not find him. Well, we have about a minute and a half here. Just share with us, you know, just give us some concluding thoughts. You can pick out anything you'd like to talk about. I don't want to sound like I'm getting on a soapbox and, you know, I'm trying to change the, the advertising business uh, with this one book. The book is a thriller. You have to think of it more like 
A Time to Kill by John Grisham, which just had a racial theme, okay? Uh, Madman is sort of the same way. It's a thriller. It's an exciting book. It doesn't, you know, uh, load you down or wear you down with this racial attitude about everything. The guy is just pissed off, basically. It's a revenge story. And the backdrop is racism in advertising. And the extent that he goes to feel, um, to get his recompense, basically, are, are exciting and a good read. And I think that, you know, everyone will enjoy it, not only African Americans, but everyone. Well, Just, you know, A Time to Kill with uh, John Grisham. Jim, tell us how to get your book. The book can be gotten in any bookseller, um, but I would suggest going through Amazon.com or JimGloverBooks.com. JimGloverBooks with an S dot com? Yes, with an S. Well, thank you. Sounds like uh, then there's going to be more. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. There will be more books based on the advertising business. Again, uh, Grisham is sort of my role model here. I'm kind of taking a page from him. He writes about law. I'm writing about advertising. So every book I write will be, will have this kind of an ad theme to it, but it won't necessarily have a racial theme. The title of the book, Madman, and the author is James Glover. Jim, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, 
Ancient Wisdoms, Exploring the Mysteries and Connections. And the author is Gail Redfern, and Gail joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Gail. Hello, Steve. How are you? Let's listen to a few things that you have written about your books so we can set the stage for our discussion. You say this, With all things and in all things, we are relatives. This is our land. We have to look after everything that belongs to us. Stated simply, we take nothing we do not need. We waste nothing. We offer thanks for everything we do take. Be humble. Humility is the gift of wisdom and understanding. And you also say we will be able to understand by reading your book, our future, only if we understand our past first. We learn from the past and move on. Life is. Well, those are much to contemplate and ponder, obviously. Uh, you call yourself an intuitive psychic. What does that mean, Gail? Well, psychic is, has become a cliché, and many people use the term. But the intuitive is, I know, I have the information coming to me all the time from the psychic side. And the intuitive is to knowing when to accept something, when to put it on a shelf for a later time, when to say no to it. My spirit guides honor my intuitive interruption. And I'll say something and they'll just say, no, nope, that's not right. And I'll say, well, later, or tell me now. And my spirit guides are very humorous, and they'll just say, okay, we'll do it later, you know, and just move on. But I think the difference is that uh, a psychic is interpreted as being having access to the knowledge of the world and the uh, universe, and the intuitive is knowing when to accept what is pertinent right now. Does that make sense for you? It does. And you're saying that we can only understand our future uh, by understanding ancient wisdoms, and you go back to the indigenous of the world, the... Uh, well, the better lack of a better term, the uh, Indians, the Mayans, the any of the American Indians. Oh yes, very much so. Yeah, I went back. Um, when we look at our future, we tend to being in a society we live in. We tend to be very, um, I'll say, futuristic. That we need a widget to fix something, and we'll call on science to fix the widget, forgetting that the dilemmas that face us today, faced humanity 5, 10, 15,000 years ago. They solved their problem. They solved the problem in a way that protected the earth, that protected themselves, that protected their community. And we can get the solutions the same way. My first book, uh, Inner Bridges, was completely channeled, and the basic message of it was live simple and live local. And what they were saying in it, and again, it's my guides were coming through, is don't push to get the, the fast solution. Look around you. What is there near you? And how can you pull something there that solves the problem? And that's exactly what we're looking at in the ancient wisdom. Our First Nations, our indigenous, the Indians of the world, they knew, and let's listen to them. Well, no one in the 21st century wants to be called simple. We don't want to live simply. But if you look at the people that have peace, you look at the Dalai Lama, you look at the elders of some of the other um, ancients, the Hopi, 
the Mayan, the Waidaha, the uh, Dogen, the Kogi, their elders all come down. They're living in the 21st century, and they're living in peace. When I was writing this book, the first thing that came through was a meditation to connect the four corners of the globe. And almost immediately after that, I saw a white feather. And this white feather represents the owl, the dove, and the butterfly. They are in cultures around the world. The owl represents the knowledge. The dove represents peace. The butterfly is transition, metamorphosis. They've been around for a long time. Are they simple? The simple is a term modern society puts the word simple in a negative. But if you look at the people that live on this planet today that are in peace, they're living uh, a peaceful life, a simple life, looking at a different definition of simple. And you emphasize the word gentleness. Yes. Again, I go back to the elders that are around today and what they warn, tell us about. When this first message came through of connecting the four corners, I was very puzzled. And, but I started listening, and I was traveling with a dear friend, and I told her, I said, what on earth is this going to mean? And she said, we're stopping at home on the way, because we're going through uh, California, Arizona, into the, uh, the Hopi uh, culture. So we went home, and she had a recording of the Kogi Nation, who live in South America, and a number of years prior to that, they had contacted BBC and asked them to record their warning. These elders came down from the mountaintop. Everybody thought that they were extinct, that they had gone, but they had gone into hiding so they wouldn't be pressured into conforming to the modern world. They had a warning for us of the peace that was needed and the transition, that we were messing up the planet. We were messing up society. And it was time for us to take a step back and pay attention. So, simply speaking, there are rules of life. Yes, there are. And when you look back to your grandma, maybe your mom, and you were told, don't beat your your brother, don't beat your sister, Be, be nice, say thank you. And as I was doing the research, I realized that the cultures all around the world follow these same messages. It's do no harm, honor life, respect the dead and the ancestors, honor all cultures, take care of Mother Earth and colors of man. There was no bigotry. We honored and loved everybody. Respect Mother Earth and creation. Honor all life and support that honor. Be grateful for the honor from the heart for life. Thank the Creator. Love and express that love. And this is something that we're realizing we need that love on our planet. Our ancestors had it. They loved without judgment. And we're now just stepping back into that love without judgment. So this is a universal philosophy of life regardless of location or time. Exactly. It doesn't matter where you are. You're, there's a form, the words will change depending on the culture. Like the Hawaiian words won't be the same as the Mayan words, but to the same meaning. 
and they practice the same the same truth. The Hopi are, um, and many cultures in North America, are just speaking this loud and clear. Well, most and re- I, most religions uh, emphasize these points, but the religions are emphasizing the points, but it's to do it my way. And and I hate to say it, but so many religions come along and they'll say, do it my way, but with these qualifiers. Whereas when you go back to the First Nations, there aren't the qualifiers. And you can still apply all this knowledge and all these terms, all these uh, truths, all these uh, rules to any religion on the planet. In no way is this saying, change your religion, change your beliefs, change your culture. No. It's just listen to the ancestors. Listen to what they said. Listen to how they took care of the earth. There was a, one saying that's not in the book, but it's carried through, is for thousands of years, we relied on the plant to take care of us. And we messed it up. We've burned all our forests, or not all, but many of them. We've polluted the oceans, and it's now time for us to step back and take care of the planet. And you can look at that as society. I mean, our parents took care of us and taught us how to grow up. And as they reach their old age, it's time for us to step back and take care of them. It's a full circle. There are focal points, as you point out, focal points of a culture that demonstrate uh, the strength of a region, what is present today, what skills and knowledge needs to be brought forward. Uh, Share with us some of that. That is going back to the book I published just prior to that called Within and Beyond. What that was teaching is the Mananimba, again, this came through meditation, through knowledge, um, it's the smallest component of life. It's uh, smaller than um, the smallest molecule. And what I was shown is before a person is even thought of being born, they're given this little mononimba with all the knowledge of the universe, all the knowledge of the planet. Then we come down into life. We're born. We have that knowledge. We have that wisdom. But we ignore it very quickly. We decide it's more fun to shoot our neighbor in a war than to remember pulling this piece. But the dimension and the planes of reference, what that was referring to is, again, you'll hear a lot of conversations about the fourth dimension, fifth dimension. Um, We're now moving into the sixth dimension. These are really planes of reference. And I compare it in the book to to driving a car. When you're driving a car, you're aware of the traffic light, a car ahead of you, the child on the street corner. You're aware of all this. And when you suddenly need to change your focus on the light because it's changing to red, your focus goes there. It doesn't negate the wisdom of the being of everything else. It just shifts your focus. That is what we have the ability to do. We can move into our planes of reference, and we have all these planes of reference right there. So it's very important to re-examine the history of ancient lands. If we take a moment and step back and look at what's there, we can have a lot. 
their song of the Waitaha. And the Waitaha are a nation from New Zealand, and again, people thought they were gone. They were extinct. And then gradually they sort of said, well, maybe they're a subset of the Maori. My contact to the Waitaha said, no, we are a unique individual nation. And one of their um, phrases, which is a binding prophecy, says, walk in the shadows, hide in the water, move in the mist, step behind the rainbow to save the treasure, protect our ancestors, hold the truth close, and warm it with a brave heart, for pain will consume the land, and the circle our dreams will be broken, and all will seem to be beyond recall. That's just one segment of what they're teaching. And they're saying, take, take time to listen, to pay attention to the ancient knowledge and what they have, because they've got so much. And remember, we fall because of our inner weaknesses, not because of the strength of our gods. Accept responsibility for your mistakes. Do not blame others. Respect and protect all trees and products of the earth. A young mind bends to the curves of the magic jawbone. Healing brings responsibility. Sadness, pain, and anger have no place besides those who tend the plants. A calm mind is a growing mind. And anyone who is aware of the energy that is around you, you'll be very aware that when you go out into nature, you're getting a, a softer energy around you. There's peace. And if you carry that peace into your garden, you can transfer it over into the plant. So the carrot you pull up for dinner that night has the peace. It has the calmness. That helps heal your body. And this is information that the ancient people had. We still have it. We just ignore it. So all of this focus on the ancients, and we have about a minute left, uh, gives us purpose. Yes. Oh, yes, very much so. And it's, it's acknowledging it and thanking it and saying, ah, now I understand. It's, it's a wonderful link. And when I was going around and connecting the different cultures of the world, I was overjoyed and amazed. And this is where the study of the Mayan came in, because they've done a lot of work linking the teachings of the Egyptian the teachings of different cultures and saying, you know, their T or their L or their individual word is the same as our individual word. It's the same as the Hawaiian individual word. Scientifically, there's no evidence of them being connected, but there is very much evidence. The title of the book, Ancient Wisdoms, Exploring the Mysteries and Connections, and the author is Gail Redfern. Gail, tell us how to get your book. You can go online onto eBay. You can also go on to, um, it's on, um, it's an ebook. You can go to any bookstore and order it. You can go onto Amazon. You can go onto my website, livingholistically.com, and you can ask for it wherever you want. But it is available electronically as well as in your local bookstore or have it shipped. Livingholistically.com. Yes, and holistically is the Canadian way. W-H-O-L. Gail, thank you for being on Author Talk. Thank you. It has been a pleasure, and good luck to all of you. That was Gail Redfern, the author of her book, Ancient Wisdoms, Exploring the Mysteries and Connections.